would please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. Now, <laughs> last week, <coughs> you know, sometimes I, I th think I'm going to cover a certain amount of scripture. And last week, I did not come even close to going 11 verses, only four verses. So, and like I said, the book of Romans is my favorite book. It is an awesome book. And as we continue, we're going to pick right back up here in verse 5 of chapter 8 where we left off. Now, if you've been following along with us or have been catching along on the, on, on the website, we have found ourselves uh, last week going through the first four verses of chapter 8. And as we saw and we looked at these first four verses, we were reminded that we are not condemned. We are not condemned for five reasons. Verse 1 of chapter 8, we saw that we're not condemned because we're in Christ. That is the most important, is it not? We're in Christ. We're a child of God. We're in the family of God. He lives within us. The second reason is that we walk in the Spirit, also seen in verse 1, but primarily verse 4. And we also know that we have the spirit of life. We have a life that lives within us, that the spirit lives within us. And because of that, we are not condemned. We also see the fourth reason is that God loves you and I. He loves us. He came to give us life. He didn't come to condemn us. And fifthly, we are filled. We have the fulfillment of the law. And because he lives within us, we, he has fulfilled the law for us. And because he lives within us, that makes us also fulfill that law because of what he has done. It's nothing that we've done. We can't earn it. We can't do it. We can't do anything to justify that we've done something so good, so miraculous, so wonderful that we earn and can fulfill the law. Only Christ can fulfill the law. So God wants the spirit to rule over our flesh that we saw last week. And when we allow that flesh to 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 be reined in by the Spirit of God in our lives, we find ourselves bound um, in a way that just pleases God. But if we are bound and are reigning within the flesh, what's going to happen is this sinful patterns, these, these sinful tendencies, these desperations that come and rise up in our flesh becomes very controlling. And, and when they come controlling, the flesh raises its ugly head we have a tendency of one of doing one of two things. And we saw through chapter 7, Paul had the tendency in his new walk in Christ to think he's smart enough or strong enough in his own flesh, his own wisdom, to combat his, own, his flesh or the things of the world or of Satan that rolls that comes and brings about in his life. And he quickly found out that he couldn't. He, didn't, he wasn't smart enough. He thought he was intellectually smart enough. He thought he could strong enough to say no to the things he's supposed to say no to and say yes to the things he knows he's supposed to say yes to. But we saw in chapter 7, he just it was just very frustrating, very anxious life and very depressing spirit coming upon him because he knew he could not handle what he was having to handle at that moment in time. But it was always a breath of fresh air when we move into chapter 8, how God then sits there and says, finally, he starts seeing, okay, 
this is how I'm supposed to live a Christian life. I'm not supposed to do it in my own flesh. I'm not supposed to do it in my own wisdom and my own strength or lean on other people around me to think they're smart enough and then through their counseling or their wisdom and I follow their pattern and that read their book and that book will tell me the do's and don'ts of the 12 steps or 10 steps or the, the, the two step and whatever step you want to do isn't going to work. What works is allowing Christ to live and reign in your life. Let the Spirit of God fill you up, as we will see today. And that power that comes from Him, that walking in the Spirit according to the Spirit, and not according to the flesh, will give us a victory in our Christian walk. And walking in the Spirit means that there's a change of direction. The progress of one's life is directed by the Holy Spirit and not by this world and not by our flesh and certainly not by Satan. And when the Spirit is directing your life, it will be this continuous, progressive motion forward and not living in the past, not living in the mistake of that you just made, but pressing forward and, and trusting in what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in your life. Now in verse 5 of chapter 8, we are going to see four contrasts, verses 5 through 11. But with contrasts, we're going to see also consequences if we choose the wrong, the wrong, uh, the wrong path. And here in verse 5 of chapter 8, we see, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So the very first contrast that we see here for those who are pencil sharpeners who take notes here is that the first contrast is the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. And we see here Paul's, the, the Spirit of God giving Paul the words to very clear for us and very pertinent to us today. For those who live their lives, the choices you make, how you think, the things that your actions that you do are going to be played out based on how you've been thinking. Because it says right here, according to the flesh, that set their minds on the things of the flesh. So someone says, oh, pastor, I don't know how it happened. It just happened. No, it doesn't just happen. You can say that to your children. Oh, mom, dad, it just happened. No, it doesn't just happen. It started in your mind first. How long have you been pondering on the things of the flesh? Because if you've been pondering on the flesh, you've been thinking it in your mind, it's going to come out in your actions in the flesh. So it always starts with the mind. That's why it's so important. What do you set your mind upon? Are you setting your mind upon the flesh? Because Paul gives us an easy way for us to determine if we're walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. It's just purely based on what your mind is set upon. What do you ponder on? What are you meditating on day and night? So you already know right now in your mind, you've already come to that conclusion. Oh, I've been really walking in the flesh because that's where I've been pondering on. But if it's walking in the spirit, that means you've been pondering on the things of the spirit, the things of God, the word of God. 
You know it. We, you don't have to have anyone tell you this. You already know that. I, we see what the scripture says. The spirit of God is speaking to us right now. He's revealing, he's uh, illuminating his word to us so we can make and understand and shine a light what's going on in your mind right now. And when we see that, the mind is the strategic battleground where the flesh and the spirit fight. That is where the fight takes place. The spiritual warfare starts in the mind. That's where the battlefield is. And with this first contrast between this flesh and the spirit here in verse 5, we also know in the previous teachings, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that we're made up of three parts, a trichotomy, the body, soul, and spirit. And the battle that takes place between them on a daily basis is real for you and I. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So I wish not to do something that goes against the word of God. So where do I going to ponder on? Am I going to ponder on the things that go against the word of God? Am I going to talk about it? Am I going to take it in through the TV and through my music and through the people I associate with and, and the, the jokes that are being told to me and the conversations I find myself in and, and the rumors and the gossips and stuff? Do I just look for those things? Do I think about those things? I ponder on those things? If you are, then you're walking in the flesh. It's very simple. But he also continues to say, but if those who live according to the Spirit, those who have the Spirit of God who lives within them, they're born again, they're new creations, then the things of the Spirit should be what dominates your mind. You should be very alerted to when the things of Satan or the world or your flesh wants to dominate. It should automatically be red Yellow flags and red flags should start popping and go, whoa, that should not be in my mind. I need to ponder on what are things are good and right and just and noble and praiseworthy. Those are the things I need to, what I need to allow to dominate in my mind. Because if it is, then I'll be walking in the what? Paul says here very clearly, you'll be walking in the spirit. You'll be empowered by the spirit. The Spirit of God is Almighty God himself, and he's the power of the universe to allow us to live and walk a Christian walk that's pleasing to him. So there's no defeat for you and I. The only reason why we defeat and why we're down is because if you really look back and say, oh, how did I do that? How, did, how could that have happened? You just ponder what you've been, your mind was set upon for those moments prior to those days prior, those weeks prior to it happening. It would answer very clearly for you and I. The question is, is how are we living our lives? We shouldn't think of those who set our minds on the things of the flesh are these well-known sinners. Oh, the, those who walk in the flesh are those murderers and those rapists and, and we, we just lash out at those such wicked sinners. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying anyone who sets their mind on the things of the flesh will cause you to walk in the flesh. Any one of those who sets their minds on the things of God 
will be walking in the Spirit. See, it's not those well-known sinners that we want to highlight. They may be actually great people with good intentions in their mind. These are good people. They're, for the most part, they're, they're just really nice people. They're really good people. They're Christian people. They, they really want to do right is right. But what happens is they get in their flesh. It's like Peter in Matthew 23, where Peter meant well when he told Jesus to avoid the cross. And Jesus responded to Peter with these very strong words, if you remember. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of things of men. See, you can be a Christian, have all these rational, logical, these are good things, this is all for God, because we want to do good things for God, you know, and, and we want to make sure people know, and this is all good, but they could actually be in their flesh in trying to achieve those things, just like Peter. Oh, I know what's better for you, Jesus. You're not going to the cross. I know what's better for you. Oh, you do. And he see the response. Peter, you have no clue. You have no clue. I know you think that's what's best, but that is not what's best. Even Paul is not talking about some normal physical emotional needs here. He's talking about someone who gets into their flesh even though they want to have a good outcome which is going to benefit everyone based on their logic and reasoning and maybe past experiences. But it may not be in line with what Jesus wants to do at that moment in time and how he wants that to play out. That's why we have to be very careful not to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct the path. You're not the one that's supposed to, and I'm not the one that's supposed to be directing those paths. We can do that if we get in the flesh. We can find ourselves directing how we think logically or we, we want things to play out because it will benefit me. It will benefit us. It may not be in line with what God's will is or his timing. So it's very careful we do not walk in the flesh, but in the spirit. Because it just made sense to us. So that was the first context. Now, in verse 6, we see a second context. But we also see, if we don't choose right, there's a consequence, a first consequence here. It says, for to be cardinally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life in peace. So when our minds are set, set on the things of the flesh, or a cardinal or cardinally minded individual, we bring death into our lives. Things are not going to be refreshed. It's not going to be new. It's not going to be growth. It's not going to, it's going to be moving away from the light and going into darkness or death. But walking in the spirit or being spiritually minded, we see in this verse, brings what? Life, life and peace, that is what you will experience in your life and my life. When you're walking in the spirit, you will experience life. You will experience growth. You will experience it's going to be good. There'll be fruit when it's alive. There's going to be love that will be dominated, as we know. That is the fruit of, of what we're looking for, is that love and every facet that comes from that love 
which is patience. So you know it if you're walking in the Spirit and you don't have patience today, it, it, but you're walking in the Spirit. It's only a matter of time. Fruit will bear. Patience is going to be coming in your life. It's going to be this only takes time to bear fruit. Well, ask any of the farmers around here. Don't you think they want their corn already? Corn's going to take a little bit longer. And sometimes seasons cause a delay in that corn to produce. In this dry season this year, you notice the corn is not producing, is not growth and alive as much as it, used, it usually is. Because there was a drought moment. Sometimes we find ourselves in droughts because sometimes it's, it's self-induced because we're not walking in the spirit. And we feel dry. We don't see the growth. We don't see the life. We don't see the fruit in us. But in time, if you stay focused on the Lord, allowing the spirit to work through your life, it's a matter of time. You will be refreshed. As we will see, you will be filled, overflowing with the Holy Spirit as the living water. But we see the fact that if you're a non-believer, you can't help but live for the flesh. If you're, the flesh dominates you, it's a practice, it's a habitual. It is who you are, you just think fleshly, you live fleshly, you want to do things fleshly. That's really speaking to a non-believer because they live for the flesh. There's no other way to live. Remember, before you came to Christ, before you were born again, you just lived for the flesh. You lived for the things of this world. Satan had a way of just coming in and influencing you to do things that in your right mind you would never have done. But it brings death to someone. Unsaved people may be alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. That inner man, that inner woman does not respond to the things of the spirit. So when someone says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but every aspect of their life, how they live their life continuously, or habitually over time and have no problems with it, really speaks to someone who just finds comfort in his comfort zone being in working in this flesh, living in the flesh. They're not have the capability of the spirit in them. It's, they don't respond to the spirit. But someone who is a believer, they don't live for the flesh. You and I live by the flesh, which is a difference. We have a tendency to be a believer, love the Lord. It, we put our total trust in Christ, and it's only in Christ we, we, we put our trust in. But we can find how we can make decisions and where we go and how we live by living by the flesh, meaning I want what I want, and I want it when I want it, and not trust in what God wants for you. I'm going to plan this five and ten year plan and I'm going to make it all happen the way I want it and this way it's going to be. That's not how, that's walking in the flesh. That's not walking in the spirit. Well, Paul understood this in, in Romans chapter 7. He was living by the flesh. He was relying upon his own strength and wisdom to bring about what he thinks was good. Romans 7, 9. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin rev revived and I died. But spiritually minded people brings life and peace. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who gives you life? Jesus. John 10, 10, the thief does not come to 
except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. Where do you live an abundant life? Where do you receive an abundant life? It is not based on what you think and how you do. It is based on Christ doing it in and through you. That's how you have an abundant life. So he gets all the credit. He gets all the honor and praise and glory. If you can do it, if you can think through it, then you'll get all the credit. That doesn't give honor to God. You won't be praising God. You'll be praising yourself, and you'll be looking for people to praise you. Look at me. No. Look to him and him alone. Being spiritually minded is not only brings life, but it brings peace. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 7, it says, We'll always have, we will always have wars and rumors of wars on this side of glory. To think other than that, we're being foolish as a Christian. The scripture tells us there will be wars and rumors of wars until God comes and takes us home. Verse 6, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but, but the end is not yet. Don't worry, it's not done yet. This is not eternity here. The wars and rumors of wars are going to happen. But don't be troubled. What does that mean? He's in control. You and I are no longer, we're not in control. So if you think you're in control and you hear these rumors of wars and, and hears of wars and rumors of wars, and many of you have been to war and back a few times, you can get very troubled if you put your eyes on what goes on in this world and not having a heavenly perspective. And that, oh, don't be troubled. I'm coming back for you soon. Soon and very soon, I'll be coming back for you. This is not eternity. Even verse 7. For nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. When you see these things, look up, the scripture says. Put your mind on me. Keep focus on me. Make sure your mind is set upon the things of God and not of the flesh, because you will get troubled and anxious and depressed so quickly you will head spin. But if you stay focused on me and walk in the spirit, I'm going to give you life and I'm going to give you what? Peace. Now tell me who here does not want peace in their life? Oh, I love turmoil. I love anxiousness. Oh, I love when there's confusion and, and all kinds of problems in my life because then I have something to talk about. And I can tell everyone else about it. No. If you're in your right mind, you don't want those things. You want peace. You want, I know you guys, guys, I know you want peace. <laughs> there's no doubt in my Ladies, I know you need peace. You're only going to get that if you set your mind on the things where love is. That's where peace is. And when we find ourselves pondering on the things of this world, oh, I remember when Kathleen and I, when we had our first child, Sarah. Do you know that first week was, we had no clue what we were doing with Lena. Come on, come on, we're, we're 40. Clueless. You should have saw, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be getting up on a shot with Sarah. 
I was worried about college. She, was, she wasn't even a week old, and I was worried about how I'm going to pay for college. Don't you think that caused anxiety and challenges in the mind when you set things on things you have no control over like you think you do? See how crazy sometimes it can get? And now I look back on it now, after she went to college, now she has a job, and, she, and, and God, you miraculously provided all of our needs. When you first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. What is what according to his will and his purpose? I mean, these things don't worry about it. Just be focused on what he wants you to do today. Because you have no guarantees for tomorrow. Just be faithful today so when you show up at the and, and when he calls you home, you say, well done, good and faithful Enter into the joy of the Lord. This internal peace, when chaos and wars and rumors of wars are going all around you, and the unknowns and what ifs, and oh, I don't have a job, and if I'm going to lose my job, and all, whatever it is, whatever, fill in the blank for you. How can you have, still have internal peace? John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. That's what Jesus said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Don't let it be afraid. If I find myself I'm afraid of the unknown or the change that is taking place in my life. And I become afraid. I must quickly put and set my mind on the things of the promises of God get into the word of God and then I must be talking to him about those promises and hold them and do I really believe by faith that that's those promises are for me of course they are then the anxiety fades even Philippians 4 7 in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard guard it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Who's going to guard your heart? Who's going to guard your mind from the things that can bring such anxiety in your life? Only Jesus Christ is going to give you that peace and that internal peace. That's why we set upon our minds and we worship our Lord and Savior. Now, we can have peace. We can have that rest in our lives. Internally, as the war and the chaos is striving around, the chaos, the, the changes, the threats, the whatever it may be, the uncertainty, the change of life. Because Satan would love to send some change in your life. It, you know, the thief wants to kill and destroy. The world certainly wants to suck you into the things of the world. Your flesh wants to rear its ugly head and bring you back into the old life, the old man. But you must, it must bring every thought under captivity, and you can do that because the Spirit of God lives within you and helps and empowers you to do that. But when that war and that chaos is happening all around you, how can you have that peace? Ephesians 2.14. Ephesians 2.14. Ephesians 2.14 For he, 
Jesus Christ himself is our peace. And you will get it from nowhere else. Are you experiencing God's peace and harmony today? Do you have Jesus in your life? Is he reigning? Is he Lord of your life? If he is, you have peace. There is rest in your life. Now we see here in verse 7 a third contrast, a second consequence. The third contrast we'll see is a difference between a war with God versus a peace with God. And depending on which one you are warring against will result in a consequence for living after the flesh. It says here in verse 7, Because the cardinal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So those who are flesh-driven, flesh-focused, mindset. They are enmity or enemies against God. You're an enemy against God. You're, you're warring against God, and you don't even know it. Most people don't. Because I, you, you can ask them, I feel like I'm in just this constant battle. You've said that to yourself probably before. Who are you battling? Why are you battling? Well, if you're battling your spouse... We're not to battle against ourselves. We're not to, to fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities in the darkness of this world. So if you find yourself battling with your spouse, you, you're in the flesh, period. We are not to fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities in the darkness of this world that might cause division and bring someone down. So when we see this here, that person is cardinally minded. They're, they're going against the, what God wants in their life. And for it is not subject to the law of God. They're not going to listen to anything. They're going to do what they want to do. They're in the flesh. They're, their mind's set to war. And so those who are, are flesh-driven are enemy or hatred toward God and is an enemy of God. Even nice people, helpful people, and, and so, and even sometimes generous people, and oh, they'll give a shirt off your back. But, but so many times when you take and ask them about the things of God and want to have a godly conversation and talk about the scriptures of God, they immediately push you back. They usually close you down and say, oh, let's change the subject. Why? Because they're neutral or they do not want to know the things of God. Their enemy against God, the scripture says here, Paul. Even Matthew 12, 30 says, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. See, that's what you, can, you and I need to make sure we do not do. That we want to hear the things of God. We want to study the word of God. We want to know and apply the things of God. We want to have fellowship in, with a godly people. Prior to coming to Christ, oh yeah, I had people who were godly people and Christians around them. I really didn't know them very well. I didn't know what they meant. I know they went to church. That's fine. That's good for them. I'm neutral. I'm not saying they can't, but it's not for me. And I really don't want to get with them and talk about the things of God. Can we just not talk about God? Can we talk about business? we got to make money here. 
Can we talk about sports and what's our next event and what's the game and how we could win the next sporting event and my team's going to win? Can't we talk about that? Don't talk about the things of God anymore. Now, I didn't say that out loud. I was, I was seasoned enough to know politically what to say and what not to say around certain people. I could cover it really well with my veneer of goodness. But inside my head, before I came to Christ, I was ravaging, going, stop getting in around me. I don't want to hear the things. You remind me of God. I didn't understand it, but I just knew I wanted to repel anyone who was of God. I was an enemy of God. I didn't even know it. That's scary, isn't it? As a non-believer, you don't even know you're an enemy of God because you just push back anybody or anyone or anything that reminds you of God. But that's how it was before you come to Christ. But after you declare you're a Christian, after you declare you've accepted Jesus Christ by faith alone in Christ alone, you've repented. That should not be in your mindset. You should not be pushing back godly people or godly conversations or reminders of the things of God because you need to recognize as Paul is saying you're in the flesh and you're an enemy of God that's a scary position to be the flesh battles against God because it doesn't want to be crucified and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ so if you're still as a believer still battling and you're like lukewarm and you've got one foot into the world and one foot in the, oh, I bet I, I don't, mm, I, I know I really do want the things of God, but I really, really enjoying more still on the flesh side. You're, you're just not willing to be persecuted and, and, and surrender your life completely to Jesus as his Lord. Yes, Savior, but not Lord. And you can find yourself living in the flesh and being very frustrated in this Christian walk. Because we see that the old nature rebels against God and will not submit to God's law or God's word. I pray for you. Because that's a miserable Christian life when you're struggling between what God wants and how God wants you to live and how you want to live according to your schedule and time and how much you want to go You're just miserable, and I, I pray for you, because the solution is a simple decision. I choose today to give Christ lordship of my life, lordship over my actions, lordship of what I do and where I go, because I don't want to be an enemy I don't, of God. I don't want to cause disquieting, because remember, that carnally-minded state you're in doesn't affect Remember, verse 5, it starts in the mind, but it will come out in your actions, your words, and how you interact with other people. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, blaming attitude, an attitude that is, they're always wrong and I'm never wrong. That is a very dangerous place to be because it's only a matter of time it affects all of us. Unfortunately, 
how I know near and dear to my heart, it always affects the ones closest, the ones around me. And I finally, I, like those first six months of getting saved, I finally realized how much I was hurting my family and how anxious I was inside of them. And finally gave my life completely to the Lord. And it's a just decision to not look back, but to keep my eyes on Jesus, keep my eyes on him. It does not work. Because I didn't want to live the way Christ wanted me to live. Galatians 5, 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We must tame the flesh. We must make sure that God's way and his power has power over our flesh. We cannot try to do a good life can't just try it. I'm going to give a good college try, Pastor. You just don't understand. I try and I try and I try. A little train up the tree. Try to go up the hill. I hope it will change. And if that doesn't work, then I'm going to come to church and I'm all I'm going to do is I'm not going to sit in the sanctuary. I'm just going to work and serve and serve and serve and serve and I'm going to serve anywhere I can and if I serve here and serve there and Go anywhere and serve. Somehow, God will love me. I will be in, he will be indebted to me because, because I've done all these good things. Then he's going to have to accept me and, and love me. And No, God will never be indebted to you. Remember, you hated him and he still went to the cross and died for you even while you still sinned. You can't earn his love. By faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved. And that that love starts working in our lives. We're not going to be indebted to him by any good works and putting God under some obligation. It does not work. For those who have tried to work, I'm just going to work and serve till I serve till I serve. Somehow I won't be anxious. Somehow I will be filled with love. Somehow I will get out of this depression. Somehow I will feel better. It doesn't work that way, my brothers and sisters. You serve because you serve a God and out of love you serve him and that's why you serve. You, you, you surrender, you die of self and you live for others because you love the Lord. Not because you have to serve. Because you want to serve. He, he's done so much for you forgiven so much and it's your natural response is just to love others and love him now we see in verse 8 we come to the fourth contrast pleasing self or pleasing God and if you don't choose rightly you and I can then have a third consequence for living in the flesh and that is we will not please God we cannot please God let's get right here in verse 8 so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God pretty self straightforward the root of sin is what? Selfishness. Darkness comes from selfishness. Death comes from that root of sin, of, of selfishness. I will do what I want to do. I want to do what I, will, I want to do. I, I, I'm just going to do whatever it is. 
and people are just going to follow along. God is just going to be my bellhop. I'll just ring, and I'm going to do this for you, God, but I want you to do, and do this for me. When I want it, how I want it. And Paul is saying here, you cannot please God if you choose to want to please yourself. If you please yourself, you will grieve the spirit of God that lives within you, and you are not pleasing God. We need to choose to please God in all things that we do. God, does this please you? I desire, I want to go do this. But I'm just going to sit and be still on this before I emotionally react to this. Because out of my emotions, I can really make some bad decisions and go places I really shouldn't do or say things I should not say. That's why I always tell men, men, listen. <laughs> it's important. We see in Jacob. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because if we quick to speak, we have the tendency to say things we will completely regret in saying. Because it won't please God. Before you say it, will this please you, God? And if you get that Holy Spirit, that, that conviction that no, it doesn't, then you clam up. Don't say it. Pray through it. Pray for that person. Pray for that situation. Oh, how many times in the office? How many times on the road while you're driving? How many times you're at the house? How important it is that we do not walk in the flesh because if we're in the flesh, it does not please God. It's by faith in Christ you can move from pleasing self to pleasing God. It is having you make a decision in your mind, I want to please you in the things I say and do and get. Now, in verse 9, we see, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. As a believer, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. How do you know if you're born again? Do you have the spirit of God living in you? You have the Spirit of God living in you. If you are, then you're, you're His. If you don't, you're not His. See, because the Holy Spirit is given to each believer when they are born again. Every Christian has within themselves a higher authority and more powerful than the flesh you've been dealing with. Did you hear that? God himself, God Almighty, the Holy Spirit lives inside you as a born-again believer, as a child of God. He is the higher authority than your flesh. He dictates how you live and what you do and how you, where you go. The evidence of the conversion in someone's life is the presence of the Holy Spirit within. There's a witnessing that you are a child of God, Romans 8, 16. Your body becomes the very temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Holy Spirit sealed you as a believer, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, giving you and I eternal life. And that life in Christ is abundant life. 
There would be peace. There will be life, not death in your life. The spirit that lives within me is in the spirit that lives within you as a believer, and the spirits communicate. They talk. They reveal itself. There's no question. As you live out this life in the spirit, there's no doubt in another Christian's life who's living the spirit that you're a believer. Even though you may have never met. You've only come and introduced yourself or you see this interaction and you just sit there and go, that person's a believer. And I love, and if you've been around me long enough, you know that I will go to a complete stranger in the line and, and ask them. Because I want to know if the spirit in me is confirming that that person, I have no clue who they are, but watching how they're interacting, if they're, in the, if they're saved or not. And I don't believe maybe once out of how many times where that person was not a believer. And that just brings such joy in my life because I know that God is just showing and revealing to me in discernment that that is a child, a brother, or a sister of the Lord. And immediately we have a connection. And what a blessing it is. Just a moment. And we may never see him ever again. I remember being in the military and being at David Grant Medical Center in, in, uh, in uh, Fairfield, California, Travis Air Force Base. Going into work, you know how you are going to work. You're just hustling. You're going as fast as you can because I'm sure I'm really close to getting to work time. And this person coming out of the hospital and walking toward me. And God just, I was, I, was, I was literally singing to the Lord at that moment. Oh, Lord, you know, God is enough. And God, whatever it was at the moment. But all of a sudden, I saw the person walking to me. I never saw, but I said, that's a brother in Christ. And so I got closer and closer and closer. I said, are you, do you know Jesus? He says, yes, I know Jesus. I said, I know Jesus. It's so nice to meet you, brother. We embraced. Never saw the man again after that. But do you know for the next several hours and now 15 years later or more, I'm telling you of that moment, and it brings back joy into my heart because of what he's talking about. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we're all together in heaven worshiping our Lord, worshiping together, praising him and honoring him and glorifying him together? Oh, how great and wonderful. You could just create worshiping now and being in fellowship now. Imagine the multitude of your brothers and sisters you haven't seen or never met. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Why? Because there's a high authority that lives, and more powerful that lives inside you and I. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit living within them, he says he is not his. That means that every believer has the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a misnomer out there in the circles, Christian circles, that, that divides Christians into two camps, the Spirit-filled and the non-Spirit-filled. But if you know the scriptures here, as we see this, if you're a believer, you are Spirit-filled. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You may not be overflowing with the Spirit of God. You may have sealed with the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. But if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. 
But if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, but you're not walking in the Spirit, then what you're going to experience is a dryness or a uh, that results from walking in the, in the flesh many times. And what we find is that that Christian life needs to be filled up and overflowing like we see in John 7, verses 37 through 39, where Jesus spoke about, he described this live, waters of living water flowing from the believer. And also we see Paul saying in Ephesians 5, 18, that we're to constantly be asking daily for a fresh filling, a filling up of the Holy Spirit. So I recommend to you, as what the scriptures tell us, is that when you wake up in the morning, you ask the Holy Spirit to be filled fresh, to be filled up afresh, to be filled up, to be empowered, to so that you will walk in the Spirit right as you wake up and not walk in the flesh when you wake up. And through the day, as you're being drained and you're serving and, 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 and things are being drained out because the, the, the mud of the world is being splattered over you, you need to be cleaned up. You need to be refreshed. Ask the Spirit of God to refresh you so that you'll be like living water. And it won't be just filling you up for just you, but it will overflow and it will refresh those you come in contact with, your brothers and sisters. But also the Spirit of God will a non-believer and you will lead them to Christ and they will be able to come to Christ. So the question always comes and asks is, how do I know if I have the Spirit? Well, ask these four questions to yourself. Has the Spirit led you to Jesus? Has He led you to a Jesus to start and have that personal relationship, that desire to spend time with Jesus? Do you do, has he led you to Jesus? The second question is, has the Spirit put you in the desire to honor Jesus? Do you honor him as your master, as your Lord? Is he who really dictates your life, controls your life, directs your life? Is that who you turn to on every detail? Do you honor Jesus? The third question is, is the Spirit leading you to be more like Jesus? Oh, I want Jesus to save me. I want the, I want the fire insurance. I want the get out of hell free card. But the question you should be asking is, do you, is the Spirit leading you to be more like Jesus? Do you desire the will to change? Do you desire, Jesus, change me. I want to be changed. I don't want to continue to live like I've been living. I don't want to not please you. I want to please you in all things. And then the fourth question is, is the Spirit at work in your heart? Do you allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to convict your heart? Or are you going, ooh, I don't like that teaching. I feel really convicted. I don't like that. I, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just going to turn that off. I'm going to shut him down. I just, when is it going to get done? I, I, I just want to hear good things. I want to feel good. I want to have goosebumps. I, I just want to feel the love. No, no, no. The Spirit of God 
does a work. It, it, it refines us. It changes us. It convicts us. But yes, it does encourage us. It lifts us up and gives us promises. But he also gives us warnings. Can you imagine you're going down the road of life and there's a big sign. There's a beautiful bridge in view ahead of you. Oh, isn't that great, sweetheart? There's a sign that says there's a bridge and it's going to have a beautiful view. Next sign you see. Oh, look at the sunset. You're coming into Sunset City. Oh, it's going to be a great city. Isn't that a beautiful, positive sign? Oh, don't we just love the, lo the road of life? But if you ignore the other side, bridge out. You're about to go over the cliff and you don't even recognize because you just tune out the warnings, the conviction. You suppress those convictions called grieving the Holy Spirit. Because you don't want to hear what you don't want to hear. You don't want to have to change what you've already said in your mind you want to do. And that stiff-necked, prideful, that's what it is, pride, is what causes you and I tremendous pain and inflict tremendous pain on the ones that love us. That's why we must ask those questions. Is the Spirit of God working in my heart? And it does that through the word of God. It does that through time of prayer. It does that through the time of fellowship. And that's how you know where you're trapped. You can't wait to be around fellowship with godly people. You can't wait to be in the word and study the word of God by yourself and with other people. You can't wait to spend quiet time talking to him about the things of that he that you're troubling you and the things that what you need to talk to him about. And, and intercede for others. When you desire those things, you know you're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. And lastly here, verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. See, because Jesus lives inside you and I, the, the body or the old man is dead. It's no longer controlling. It's not in control anymore. It's not on top. The spirit is now on top. That's what controls your soul, your mind, your conscience, the things you do, and how you feel and respond. The flesh is on the bottom. The spirit lives and reigns. We will live out his salvation through, in and through our mortal bodies through the resurrection lifting you up. Because not only are we in Christ, Romans 8, 1, but he also is in you. He lives in you. He reigns in you. It's a temple of God. And because God cannot abide in a sinful home, he will not come into your mortal or my mortal body and dwell with darkness. He will not come into your home, into your heart, and leave it untouched. We must die. The body must die when Christ, when Jesus comes into your life. He will not allow the old, the old body to reign and rule. And then verse 11, what a beautiful verse this is. 
And he starts off thus. If the spirit of him, him being capital H in your Bible, Jesus, who raised, I mean God, almighty God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The spirit of God himself, God himself dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit of God has lifted Jesus up. He will lift you up. He will dwell within you, empowering you, enabling you to live a Christian life. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? And if not, I pray today is the day you are changed and filled with his spirit, overflowing to a point where you will experience victory in your life. A joy and a peace will come overwhelming into your life. Such joy, such peace that people all around you will experience that love that comes from your life. The question always comes, how are we to deal with these cardinal activities that seem to plague us? How do we deal with these sinful tendencies that seem to be hampering and coming into us? How do we deal with the habits and the thoughts that seem to flood my mind and control me when I know that it doesn't please God? How do you overcome those things? Paul gives us very key scripture here in verse 11. The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you and he'll live his life through us. He's the one that's going to help you overcome those things. Do you believe that? Oh, I hope you do. Because you have the spirit of life in Christ Jesus.